0: Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church,
1: where life and faith intersect. Well, good morning, everyone. I want to welcome you uh, to Grace Crossing Church. Thankful that you're a part of uh, our worship gathering this morning. Today's going to be an extraordinarily special day for us here at Grace Crossing Church. We are in week five uh, of our series called It's Possible. And um, let me just say, if you have not been at our series or part of these, every one of these talks, I would really encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast, especially last week's message. Because last weekend we talked about that with God, it's possible to become an emotional adult. And I really think it's an important talk for every one of us here at Grace Crossing Church that desire to become fully devoted followers of Jesus, to understand that a part of that means that we are growing in To emotional adulthood. One of the great trademarks, in fact, I would suggest, according to scripture, the greatest trademark of becoming an emotional adult is that we love well. The highest goal of the Christian life is what we sang about this morning. The highest goal of the Christian life is that we love really, really well. We love God well, we love ourselves well, and we love others well. So this morning. I want to take us to the topic, with God, it's possible to love unconditionally. With God, it's possible to love unconditionally. Christmas is all about incarnation. It's all about God delivering his love to us, wrapped in human flesh. More than anything else, Christmas is an annual reminder that we are loved incarnationally. But it's also a reminder that we are loved unconditionally. Christmas assures us that God loves us despite us. In fact, God loves us with no boundary, no limit, and no breaking point. If you say, how do we know that? He came in the form of a virgin woman. There's nothing more scandalous than that. And yet it was God's way of showing to us how deeply He was committed to letting us know that he loved every single one of us. And so Paul the Apostle drives this theme home in all the epistles. He gives us this uh, word in Ephesians chapter 3. Here it is, verses 18 and 19. May you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Paul prays two prayers here over us. He first of all prays that we, each one of us, would understand God's love. He wanted us to understand the breadth of God's love. But he secondly prays that we would experience the fullness of God's love. And there is a difference between understanding about God's love and experiencing the fullness of God's love. Listen, it's one thing to know about God's love theologically. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's all well and good. But there is something so much more profound when you actually experience the depth and the breadth of that love of God. In fact, according to the Bible here, it is not our understanding of God's love that helps us to move into fullness in God. What completes us in God is that we experience God's love. So Jesus in his earthly life and ministry wanted to drive this distinction home. And so he decides to tell a story, a a parable, to help distinguish the difference between understanding God's love and actually experiencing God's love. He tells what's called a parable, which is simply an earthly story with a divine meaning. It's in our Bibles. It's known as the parable of the prodigal son or the parable of the prodigal. But the story could actually be titled the parable of prodigal love. Because the story is really about incredible love. It's really not a story about a son as much as it is a story about a father. A father who has two sons. And that word uh, prodigal is an important word. It, it, It literally means wasteful or reckless. More than a story about a rich, dysfunctional family, This is a story about the riches of the love of God. And here's the story. A man has two sons he loves equally. But the younger of the two come to him one day and say, Father, give me my inheritance, that which belongs to me now. The father, without even questioning it, offers his son his portion of the inheritance and actually blesses him. Doesn't get more reckless than that. The son goes on his way, and in a relatively short span of time, this wasteful son burns through all of his father's inheritance to the point that he actually becomes unemployed, homeless, and penniless. One day, he decides to go back home, and while he's coming home, he's thinking to himself, I have no idea how I'm going to be accepted when I get there. But his father sees him, and instead of making him crawl home to him, his father goes running to him, a sprint that is fueled by prodigal love. He embraces his son. He lets his son know that though his conditions have changed, his love for his son had not changed. He still belonged. He was still family. He was still deeply loved and fully accepted. Now, this story actually has some really unique twists and turns. The one thing about this story is that when the father does this, he actually takes his son and says to him, I want you now to have the best of the best. I want you to have the best robe that I own. I want you to have the best ring that I have. I want you to have the best sandals that I own, and I want to take the the fattest calf we have, and we're going to... We're going to actually slay that calf. We're going to prepare a great feast for you. Now, it's almost unthinkable when you think of this son's decisions. You see, this son had violated nearly every family rule. But so had the father. The father actually seemingly violates every rule there is, every cultural rule And every religious rule because of his prodigal love. And actually love does that, doesn't it? Prodigal love seemingly bends the rules for the sake of relationship. And if you don't believe that, just read the Gospels. What Jesus did in the Gospels was that Jesus constantly cut through the religious and cultural rules and laws in order to get to broken people's hearts. Perhaps that's why we're given this as a law in Scripture. James chapter 2 actually calls it the royal law. And here's what it says. James chapter 2, verse number 8. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. Now when you think neighbor here, please don't think of your next door neighbor. When when the Bible here talks about neighbor, it's talking about the person who has the greatest need, usually your enemies. And what the Bible teaches throughout the Scripture, Jesus teaches it, James just simply echoes it, that this is such an important law that it is considered the royal law. And he says if you keep the royal law, you're doing right. Let me tell you, prodigal love is the most righteous thing we can do. It's the most righteous thing that we can do. In fact, let me just say this. Whenever our religious certainty conflicts with the royal law, we must always first choose the royal law. That's how significant it is. The other remarkable thing that I think about in the story of the prodigal love is the son's vulnerability to actually show his face back home. He doesn't get any worse than what he did, and yet he he chooses to make himself vulnerable. That word comes from the Latin and simply means wound. When this son comes home, he is actually running the risk of being deeply wounded by being rejected. And yet, despite perhaps what he was feeling, he chooses to bring himself home in his worst possible condition, at the worst possible moment, amidst the worst possible circumstances. Let me just say this. If all that you ever do is offer to people your ideal self, you can never really understand or experience unconditional love. As long as all people ever see of us or all people ever know of us is our ideal self, we can never experience unconditional love. Not until we become fully seen and fully known can we be fully loved? That's actually what unconditional love requires. Prodigal love requires that we are fully seen and fully known. It means that we present to others our unprotected and our unmasked selves. And until we actually risk being vulnerable... We may be loved conditionally, but we are not loved completely. We are not loved in a biblical sense the way that God loves each of us. And so this son risks everything. But in this story, there's another son. And I think the reason that Jesus wanted to make sure that he was in the parable is because not everybody understands and appreciates Prodigal love. Many people understand it, but they cannot fully comprehend it because they've not experienced it for themselves. That was the case of the older brother. The older brother understood that his father was rich. What he didn't yet experience was the riches of his father's love. He didn't yet have that. And so he's kept scratching his head. In fact, he has an emotional meltdown when he hears about the way the father responded to the younger, to his younger brother. We read about it in Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, verses 29 through 32. The older son said, look how many years I've stayed here serving you, never giving you one moment of grief. But have you ever thrown a party for me and my friends? Then this son of yours He's actually disowning him as his brother here. This son of yours, who has, uh, who has wasted all of your life, who's created all kinds of problems for you, who's thrown away your money on prostitutes, shows up, and you go all out with a feast. His father said, son, you don't understand. You're with me all the time. Everything that is mine is yours. But this is a wonderful time, and we had to celebrate. The question is why are the f- those final four words there? We had to celebrate. It's because the father understood that what the son needed was prodigal love. He needed a love that knew no boundary, no limits, no breaking point. The son here, the father here is not focusing on sin. Rather He is celebrating his son. He's saying, listen, we're going to celebrate this son of ours, this brother of yours. Now, when I think about the conditions of this younger brother coming home, I think there are two things that could have stopped him from being vulnerable. In fact, these are the two things that stop all of us from wanting to be fully known and fully seen so that we can experience full love the way God wants us to. And I think those two things are fear and shame. Nothing will keep us in hiding more than fear and shame. Nothing will make us resist prodigal love more than our fear and our shame. First John actually speaks about this. Chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. We have come into an intimate experience with God's love, and we trust in the love that He has for us. God is love. Those who are living in God are living in love. Or who are living in love are living in God, and God lives through them. By living in God, love has been brought to its full expression in us so that we may fearlessly face the day of judgment. Because all that Jesus now is, so are we in this world. Love never brings fear, for fear is always related to punishment. Let me just, let me just stop there. There's a little more we're going to read, but before we do, let me say this. The opposite of fear is not faith. The opposite of fear is love. God's love. It is perfect love. It is unconditional love. It is prodigal love. It is that kind of love that actually cuts its way through all of our fears, our fear of judgment, our fear of rejection, our fear of misunderstanding, our fear of being unloved, our fear of not belonging. It is that love that cuts through. And it goes on to say this. But love's perfection drives the fear of punishment far from our hearts. Don't miss that. Love's perfection or perfect love drives the fear of punishment far from our hearts. Whoever walks constantly afraid of punishment has not reached love's perfection. Our love for others is our grateful response to the love God first demonstrated to us God's love here is characterized as a perfect love what makes God's love perfect what makes God's love perfect is that we can do nothing to make him love us more and we can do nothing to make him love us any less that's perfect love Perfect love accepts us just as we are, not as we should be, because God knows we'll never be as we should be. And yet he chooses to love us without limits. That's perfect love. And listen to what that final statement says. Our love for others is our grateful response to the love that God first demonstrated to us. The only way for people to experience God's perfect love is through receiving imperfect love from others. We must be loved by others in a tangible way. We must have God's love with skin on for us to be able to actually even begin to internalize this depth of love. In fact, let me say this. Glimpses of unconditional love through others makes it possible for us to believe that God's divine, unconditional love is even imaginable. Without glimpses of it in human beings, people can never see or know the depth of God's love. And so whenever we experience near-perfect love, imperfect as it may be here on this earth, we actually begin to trust at a deeper level in God's un. Conditional love perfect love cuts through our fear perfect love also diminishes our shame it's the second thing that keeps us from being vulnerable it's the second thing that makes us want to cover and at times hide number of weeks ago, and I've been preparing this talk for a long time, but a number of weeks ago, as I was waiting on the Lord for today's topic, knowing that the Lord had spoken to my heart that I needed to share a story about prodigal love with His body. As a pastor for 19 years here, I have always tried to be as open and as honest and as real as I can be. It's been really important to me. But a number of weeks ago, as I was preparing for this morning, there was something in my heart that I could tell was still making me feel the fear and shame, and I felt resistance. Until I read this scripture in Hebrews chapter 12. I had never seen it before to this degree. Here's what it says. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Notice these words, despising the shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I had never before seen to the way I did that day how significant it was when Jesus took all of our sins upon himself on the cross. I realized perhaps for the first time, at least in my own heart, that there was still something that I was feeling that needed to be offered fully to the prodigal love of God. And it was shame. And I recognized that God took our shame. In fact, let me say this. On the cross, Jesus owned your shame and my shame. So that shame wouldn't own us. So that we could finally actually be fully vulnerable the way that God desires us to be. So this morning, I want to lead you into and let you into a journey in our life and our family that I'd like you to hear. I'm going to have my wife, Kelly, to join me this morning for our story that we're going to share with you. And as she comes... I'll help her up here in the chair. Let me have you sit right here, honey. Here you go. You sit up here? Put that back. So many of you um, actually here um, know our family. Um, some of you, however, may not know that our son, Caleb, who actually um, is in medical residency uh, in Los Angeles, A few years back, Caleb actually brought us into a situation in his life that he was dealing with, and um, it was something that we were, at the time, unprepared for. Caleb graduated from Wright State with uh, two undergraduate degrees um, in uh, Spanish and pre-med. He then went on to medical school um, and is now in his third year of pediatric residency out in los angeles at kaiser permanente but he brought us into a situation uh, back a few years ago that i think actually stunned us at the time but i'll let cal share with you a little bit about how we were made aware of that situation do got mic right there honey and turn that on
2: this table represent our kitchen table. We love each and every one of you and we want to invite you individually to our table. I'm just going to read a part of my story and those that are listening to the podcast later we invite you to our table as well. I held my little toddler boy on my diminishing lap. I carefully ran my fingers through his curly locks. I was going to have his baby sister in just a few months. I held Caleb and prayed for him. I prayed for his future, I prayed for his wife. He was only two, but I entrusted his future to God. Caleb always had friends, lots and lots of girlfriends. He was so compassionate, kind, caring, and everyone loved him. He wasn't perfect, he was habitually late and a bit irresponsible, but extremely likable. He is well-rounded, smart, funny, extremely active in extracurricular activities in church and community volunteer work, studies, and jobs. I continued to pray for his future wife. Caleb had just passed his step two, a long exam on medical proficiency. We took him out to P.F. Chang's to celebrate. After a wonderful dinner together, we drove down the road to chat at Starbucks. We were talking about our family, and Caleb was just gleaming as he talked about being an uncle to such adorable kids. Gil asked Caleb, Caleb, When are you going to settle down and give us some grandchildren? Caleb turned ashen and his head fell. I impulsively asked, Caleb, are you attracted to men? It was an awkward question to ask. I could be wrong. But Caleb shook his head to acknowledge he was. Gil got up from his chair and embraced him. I love you, buddy. I rose up and hugged him too. I wasn't completely surprised. But Caleb had so many girlfriends, it just didn't make sense. As he began to share in his struggle, we were filled with compassion. Just as God loves us with unconditional love, we would love our son, whom God had entrusted to us.
1: I think we have a picture of our family, actually, we took uh, just last, uh, last fall. Um, as you can imagine, when I first heard this, I I had a myriad of emotions that I began to feel. Um, Though I moved directly toward Caleb because I knew that was the lead foot. And I knew that's what I've experienced in my own life. At times when I was fully seen and fully known. I wanted to offer that to my son. But I took uh, my heart to the Lord. Began to journal a lot in those early days. Um, I think there were two things immediately that I, that I wanted Caleb to know, um, that I wanted him to hear from me. The first thing I wanted him to know was that, Caleb, I, I said, I'm really, I'm sorry that we couldn't provide you a place to bring us into this sooner. I feel like in some ways we didn't give you the kind of place that we would have wanted you to have. And honestly, I can say I don't know we could have provided that for him at the time. But I knew we could now. And I wanted to commit that to him. The second thing I assured Caleb of um, was I just affirmed the fact that, Caleb, I'm grateful that I no longer have to have a relationship with an illusion. I no longer have to have a relationship just with an ideal son but I have a relationship with a real person. And I'm grateful that I get to have that kind of relationship. I took my heart to the Lord and uh, over the next number of weeks, there were a number of things that I I felt the Lord say to me and I just want to share some of those that I've extracted from my journal today. Here's what I discerned God saying to me. I discerned God saying that he was not asking me to try to change Caleb, but rather he was asking me to accept him And love him unconditionally, no strings attached. I felt the Lord saying and telling me not to worry or fear the implication of Caleb's life because we, like the Palos this morning, dedicated our son to the Lord. And I knew that he belonged to God. In that day, we made an important decision that his choices were not going to be our responsibility. That were going to be his. I also sensed the Lord asking me to pray without ceasing and to place Caleb at God's disposal, come what may, and trust him. I made several commitments to Caleb over the course of the next number of months when we talked, and I share some of those with you this morning. I remember saying, Caleb, well, I don't fully understand. I want to ask you for the grace to allow me to grow. And to learn. I assured him that you are my son. Nothing you do will ever change that fact. Who you are matters to me more than what you do. I assured him, Caleb, I'm not gonna try to fix you. I told him I'm committed to accepting him fully and loving him unconditionally, and that I do not condemn him, and I will not reject him. I assured him that I'm committed to providing him a parent child relationship that is both spiritual and safe. I wanted him to have what he didn't have when he was a teenager. And I said, Caleb, I'm committed to being involved in your life, in every part of your life, that if something matters to you, it matters to me. If something's important to you, it's important to me. Those were commitments that I made to my son. And then last fall, we got a call that I don't know that... We could have been fully prepared for it. I don't know anybody could be fully prepared for it. It was a Saturday night. I was um, preparing my heart, getting ready for Sunday. I heard the phone rang. Kelly took the call and on her phone. and I heard her on speakerphone, and then she came around the corner and said, Gil, can you come? And I came and joined her. And Caleb informed us that he had gotten a marriage license and had made a plan in just a few short weeks to get married to his partner. Um, I think you could have hit us with a ton of bricks. We were uh, stunned at the moment. And I think we knew, like initially we thought, you know, there's just no way in such a short amount of time that that we could even be there. And I think we had settled in that moment that we were not going to be a part of that wedding. Then I took my heart to the Lord and I took this to a few trusted godly counselors in my life. And I decided later that week to call Caleb. Caleb's always had a tendency to minimize important things in his life. He did it with medical school. He's done it in his residency. He just doesn't tell us how important things are to him. I called him on the phone and I said, Caleb, I want to tell you, I want to recommit to you something I shared with you. If it's important to you, it's important to us. And I just need to know how important it is and how meaningful it is for you, this wedding. Do you want mom and dad to be there? And he said, I do. And I said, then we'll try to rearrange our schedule. And we'll actually try to be there. We made a 36-hour flight to L.A. to be a part of Caleb's wedding to actually attend. It was such a short flight that I was sitting at lunch when I got off the plane, and I got an email that said, it's now time for you to check in for your flight on the way back. But we wanted to be there because he matters to us. We also extended the invitation to our family, and Aubrey decided to come as well. And Aubrey, I'd like you to come and join us this morning.
2: October 12, 2018, Caleb married David. Gil and I felt this was the time to move, move toward our son, not away from him. We had told many people about Caleb's lifestyle. We had not told many people about Caleb's lifestyle, but our close family and church leadership knew and supported our decision to attend their wedding. I remember grieving over the fact that I would not get to dance with my son as the mother of the groom. I look forward to that moment since Caleb was a little boy. I was spending time with the Lord and letting him know how sad I was that I would not get to dance with my son. I told God that I wished I could dance with my son and was grieving the fact that I couldn't. I felt God speak to me, who told you you couldn't? I felt this prompting that I had God's approval to move forward. With this new assurance, I felt confident that I was to call Caleb and tell him I would dance with him at his reception. I asked if he could pick out the song. He said he would be glad to. I had no idea what this meant to him, nor did I know how much I would feel God's pleasure during that dance. Caleb picked the song, Do I Make You Proud. I knew Christ was pleased, yet it is complicated. No, I don't agree with my son's decision but I felt God was present in that moment. He would use this for his glory. I wondered what God was thinking all of those years as I was praying for Caleb's future wife. He must have been saying, Kelly, I have such a different plan for all of you. You have no idea what I'm going to do in your family for my glory.
0: Yeah. So... Um Caleb, like a lot of like what they've shared, he's not very, his intimacy only goes so far, his openness only goes so far, but um, we were pretty close growing up, and it was extremely tough for me not knowing, just like you said, that you didn't feel like we had, a, had provided him a place, whether it be a safe place or whatever, to share who he really was. That was extremely hard for me, because I just thought, why wouldn't you tell me, of all people, like... You know, I could see you hiding it from mom and dad because you want to make your parents proud, but why wouldn't you tell me? And so that was hard. Um, but as soon as I found out that he was getting married, which, again, he downplays everything, like they shared, and he said, you know, hey, I understand you guys wouldn't be there It's so last minute. I just wanted to basically let you know. It wasn't really like an invitation. Um, and I knew right away, like, I have to get there. I have to be there because I have to represent the family. Like, I know that a lot of us won't be able to make it but I spoke with Eric, and he was like, we can find you a flight. We can do something, and when they called and said, we're booking our flights. Do you want us to grab you one, too? I was like, yes, because I had been looking, and I couldn't find a good one, but I was like, oh, it's gonna be so expensive. I'm just gonna have to make it happen, and he found one that we could all work out. He's like, we're just gonna go for like 24 hours, and I was like, absolutely. I'm so happy you guys are gonna be there with me, so um, Caleb called, and Last minute is is his forte, and he was like, Hey, can you like do all the music for me at my wedding? It's like Caleb, I'd be honored to be your DJ. <laughs> just about as far as it would ever like ever go. And so I, you know, I spent a lot of time picking out all the music that I thought he would really like because we have very similar taste. And uh, but the most important song was of course he sent me a list of the songs that he was debating to dance with mom. And we were listening, I just remember we were in the car. We were always in the car because it's L.A. traffic. And so we were in the car at some point trying to get to meet them for brunch. And we were listening to this song. And, like, we were going through some of them. And then when this song, when we were listening to it, I was like, you have to do this one. You have to do this song. Like, he was, and he and he was, he had, like, three or four options. But I just want to read some of the lyrics from this song. And it's just, it's like he may not be able to put into words what he's feeling. and But... You know how music can do that and how songs can do that. And so even if he can't, we know that despite the fact that he may feel like this is who I am, this is who I'm going to be now. He's been surrounded by people you know, who have loved on him really the way that Christians should love on people, but those who don't see it that way, those who may not be followers or whatever, the way they love on those with that lifestyle, a lot of times that puts us to shame. Um, and so... He's been surrounded by people who have just loved him for who he truly is and and but when it comes to us, I think he just ha- he will always have this fear of am i am I accepted, do I make you proud?" And so the other verses are about being raised to stand tall and uh, that gratitude of that guy you know that parental guidance, um, what it's led him to believe. but the third verse is just so incredibly powerful, and I think that's when we all had tears in our eyes, and we knew that this was totally going to be the one, and it says I guess I've learned to question is to grow. That you still have faith is all I need to know. I've learned to love myself in spite of me. And I've learned to walk on the road that I believe. This is what we dream about. But the only question with me now is do I make you proud? Stronger than I've ever been now. Not afraid of standing out. But do I make you proud? So those were Caleb's. That was his question that day when we were standing there: Is Do I make you proud? Um, and in that moment when we were sitting there, watching them dance I knew we were exactly where we needed to be there was absolutely no question
1: Hmm. so on the flight to LA um I had a lot on my mind and heart and I remember on the flight there God um God led me to this scripture that I shared this morning out of Luke chapter 15 and um I journaled on the flight there some things God spoke to me about, and I wanted to share them with you this morning. I'm going to read them because I don't know if I can just talk without it. The prodigal father chose to give the inheritance, the blessing to his son just because he asked for it, not because he was entitled to it. Caleb deserves my blessing not based on his behavior, but just because he is my beloved son. The blessing is mine to withhold or give. And like the prodigal father, I choose to give Caleb mine fully and freely. The father welcomed his son home. He wasn't treated as a second-class son. Rather, he was afforded all of the family privileges Because of who he was and whose he was. He was still family, and so is Caleb. And then that verse we had to celebrate and be glad. Caleb desires to experience what I had longed to experience all of my life, and that was to feel celebrated. As a kid, I never felt seen. I never felt special. I never felt celebrated. And I had the chance to give to my son something I had not experienced. He deserved to be celebrated just for being him. I can give my son that this weekend. He is my son, and he alone is worth celebrating. The father's love was characterized, mischaracterized by the older brother. He didn't understand. People may not. And finally, Caleb's marriage changes nothing about who he is. He is still fully accepted, and he still belongs. David, too, will now become family. And so, by God's grace, I choose to welcome him and to love him as I would any member of the Dukeman family. I interrupted the reception with a toast where I celebrated Caleb. And I said to David, David, I want you to know from this day forward, you're in our hearts and you have a place in our home. We love you. and We accept you. Now listen, our journey's not over some ways it may have just begun. But like Abraham followed God not knowing where he was going and not knowing where it would lead, so we choose to follow God in our journey and we choose to trust God. And what we ask for is we ask for your prayers and for your grace as we follow the journey God has called our family to walk. Thank you so much for being here and thanks for opening our hearts to us today.